to turn to Mark chapter 16 today, verses 1 through 8, as we celebrate and meditate on the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. We're going to open up to Mark chapter 16. As you're turning there, let me start by saying that what we are about to hear in today's passage is arguably the most important thing in all of Scripture. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and our faith is in vain, and we of all people are most to be pitied. Said another way by Tim Keller, it says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And what we celebrate today on Resurrection Sunday in Jesus' resurrection, that is the most important thing in all of Scripture. As such, I pray that we would take this seriously this morning and weigh in our hearts the implications of what we're about to hear. As we do that, I want to walk through this passage in three parts this morning. First, looking at the supposed closing act of Jesus's life and ministry, then turning to the unexpected intermission and concluding with what we find is in fact the true beginning. And in doing this, I hope to see that Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. So would you please read along with me, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what today represents. For if you were not raised from the dead, you were not who you said, and all that you did has no effect on us. But Lord, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are our King who is sovereign over all things, who has defeated sin and death. And because of that, we are now new creations in you. We too have been raised to life. Thank you. Be with us now as we study your word. Transform us, and may we take to heart the implications of what this means for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we enter the text, what happened on Friday and the pain that it brought was so 
fresh in everyone's minds as they sat in despair and hopelessness that miserable Saturday. What do they do now? The one they thought was the Messiah is dead. Where would they go? They had left their jobs. They had left their families. For now, they decide to just lock themselves away as they wait for the craziness of the past few days to die down. And thus, we begin with what I've called the closing act. As we look at this text, we read that early Sunday morning, the women who that we were first introduced to in chapter 15, verse 40, and who just saw where Jesus had been laid, decide to take spices to go anoint the body of Jesus. They are reintroduced to us as Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome. They had watched him die. They had seen where the body had been placed in the tomb, and now they want to pay their respects by anointing his body with spices. In their mind, this is the end. There was nothing more they could do regarding Jesus except offer his body one last act of love and kindness. And just as the the woman in Bethany had done in chapter 14 by breaking the perfume, by pouring it on Jesus' body to anoint his body for burial, here the two Marys want to do the same. It is clear for us to see that they, along with all the other disciples, had no real expectation that Jesus would actually be raised from the dead. And as they're walking to the tomb, they start to have a discussion about how they're going to move the stone away to anoint his body. You see, the stone was very large, as we read, and would have needed to either be pushed up an incline or out of a slotted groove and moved to the side. They, by going alone, alone had no one to help them. They also had no clue that guards had been stationed to watch over the tomb. In this passage, we find two devoted followers of Jesus who are desperate to show him one last act of love and kindness, no matter how difficult it would be in their minds. Again, for them, this was the closing act for their story. And the man from Nazareth called Jesus. And they were going to go and do it right, no matter what. Death had won. Darkness had triumphed. God seemed once again silent to the injustices of this world. But when they get there, they quickly find that they have a new problem. The stone was already rolled away, and they didn't see anyone there. What was going on? Who could have possibly done this? Perhaps someone has broken into Jesus' tomb to desecrate the body, to humiliate him all over again. And as they rush in, their confusion and their concern quickly turn to fear, to astonishment, to wonder as they enter the tomb and find a young man dressed in a white robe sitting there. And the text says they were alarmed. It's the same word that describes those who see Jesus coming off the mountain after he's transfigured. It's the same word that's described how Jesus is feeling in the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 12, verse 34. It includes a sense of being afraid, of being astonished and distressed all at the same time. Their emotions are going crazy as they enter the tomb. They see this man sitting there. They wonder what happened to their friend Jesus. What is going on? And guys, this is where the story gets really good. They're quickly going to see that what they thought was the closing act of their story was actually just an unexpected intermission. 
before they can speak, the angel, as we know from the other gospel accounts, says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He caused their fear to be turned to rejoicing as the crucified one is now the risen one. The stone was rolled away, not because someone came and took him, not because Jesus needed to be let out, but to let witnesses in to see the place where he had been laid. The tomb was empty. They are told that Jesus was raised. Could this really be the truth? This question has stumped men and women alike for centuries. In wrestling with this, some have said that, you know, perhaps Jesus wasn't really dead, but he resuscitated in the coolness of the tomb where he was left and continued to teach his disciples for a time. But it's nearly impossible to believe that someone who was beaten near death was crucified being pronounced dead by Roman guards would somehow survive that whole ordeal. And even more uh, unbelievable that in his weakened state, he would have been able to move this stone away alone from the inside of the tomb, fight off some of the most skillfully trained soldiers, and then make his way back to his disciples, being able to perfectly hide himself from officials for the rest of his life with his body never being found. This explanation is highly unlikely to the question of why is the tomb empty? Others, including the Jews and Roman authorities at this time, said the body was stolen. But again, the idea that a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors somehow fought off these guards, took his body out of this tomb, and then disposed of it in such a way that it would never have been found is hard to believe. And what is even more unbelievable is that none of these disciples as they were being killed one by one for what they all knew was a blatant lie, would, wouldn't spill the beans and confess, this isn't real, we made it up. Again, this explanation is highly unlikely. The reality of the situation is that if your understanding of the world can include events that are beyond natural explanation, then the literal Bodily resurrection of Jesus is the most plausible explanation for the empty tomb that is offered. This case is even stronger when paired with the zeal of the disciples as they went out from that day and with unprecedented boldness and confidence went into the world saying, Christ who you killed, Jesus who was dead on the cross, is, was now raised and is living yet today. That zeal is unprecedented. Combined with the fact that this testimony was given and even more unbelievably received by two women. This alone would have been unheard of at this time and speaks volumes to the fact that this testimony must have indeed been true. So again, as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised and our preaching and our faith is in vain and we are of all people most to be pitied. What we see here is that Jesus' death was not the closing act, but was merely an unexpected intermission in his ministry and the continued ministry of the church. And if that's the case, then his resurrection marks not the end, but what we see is actually the true beginning. After showing the women the empty tomb and giving them the good news of Christ's resurrection, the angel tells them in verse 7, to go and tell his disciples, including Peter, to meet him in Galilee, as he told them to do back in Mark 14, 28. 
Mark wants the readers or hearers of his gospel to see here that although they had abandoned Jesus, Peter and the disciples had not deserted him completely. And better yet, that he had most definitely not deserted them. He still had use for them, despite their failures. The work was now just beginning. What great reassurance this would be for them. Mark, again, is is thought to be the gospel that's recounting the story that Peter is giving to him. And Peter here puts his own name here and says, Christ not only came back to tell his disciples that there is still work to do, but he came and even told me, the one who denied him, that there was work to be done and I had a part in that. This would have been great reassurance for them. The fact that they hadn't gone to Galilee yet shows, again, that they had no expectations that Jesus was really to be raised from the dead. But now they hear that there was work to be done since Jesus indeed was raised. And as we get to the end of this passage, we see that the women respond to the angel's command quite differently than how we might expect. We read in verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now remember, most scholars would agree that verses 9 through 20 of Mark 16 are not original to his gospel. This means that what we have here in verse 8 is how Mark intentionally decided to end his gospel account. And to me, that just seems strange. Why does Mark end his gospel with the women being overwhelmed by fear and astonishment that they can't even say a word to anyone? Well, before I answer that question, let me start with two clarifications. First, let's be fair. I'm sure this scene was a lot to take in, coupled with the realization that their testimony as women would not have been taken particularly well. Let's, let's be, again, let's be honest, this would have given any one of us pause. But second, we also know from the other gospel accounts that after this initial response of shock and silence, they end up doing a lot of talking about what they have seen. We're told elsewhere that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary here are the first to go out with the good news that Jesus has been raised. But even so, the question remains, why then does Mark end his gospel in this way? Well, I want to answer that question this morning by way of three brief challenges as I conclude today's message. First, this ending shows us that faith does not come through signs and miracles, but instead it comes from hearing the good news and having a personal encounter with the one who was crucified and is now raised from the dead. In John 20, we read that Jesus actually appears to Mary Magdalene here at the tomb. And in verse 18 of John 20, we read that Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Seeing an empty tomb is not enough. They needed to hear the angel's proclamation and needed to have an encounter with the risen Lord. So my first challenge this morning is this. Don't just stare at amazement at the empty tomb, but seek a personal encounter with Jesus. True faith won't come just from his miraculous resurrection, 
but from the personal relationship you can have with the one who has conquered sin and death on your behalf. Second, Mark's ending shows us that the resurrection does not magically dispel fear and thus create faithful disciples out of fearful, anxious humans. This is the outworking of what we just said. If faith is through a personal relationship with Jesus and not just belief in miracles, then the boldness and courage that we will have to face the brokenness and darkness of everyday life will come not from a belief in miracles, but from that same relationship with him. We can face the brokenness and darkness of everyday life, not because someone rising from the dead gives us some vague optimism that things might turn out better than they seem, but because Jesus, God in flesh, rose from the dead to fulfill his promise to us that sin and death would ultimately be defeated and that restoration and redemption is coming, even as it starts to happen now through the church. Like the women in this story, it is tempting to respond to life with fear and with timidity. But when we remember that the resurrection was the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom had really been launched on earth as it is in heaven, we will be able to shake off our fears. We will be able to stand firm in the hope and joy that we have in knowing that our risen Lord is the king of the universe who is bringing all things back to their intended and restored, redeemed purpose. The resurrection doesn't automatically make us confident and bold, but when we combine the event with our remembrance of God's faithfulness and the hope that we now have, we can go into this world with a boldness like that of the disciples, knowing that God's victory over sin, shame, and death has already begun and is sure to come to completion when he comes again. So my second challenge this morning is this. Live each day in resurrection victory, knowing that future redemption and restoration is already won for us. Finally, by his ending, Mark challenged the disciples of his day, and the disciples even yet today, to live and witness for the Lord in the present and in the future. You see, in the open ending to his gospel, Mark was wanted to indicate that the story is not complete, but was continuing in their time and in ours today. He wanted his readers and his hearers to continue the story in their own lives. I love how James Brooks says it. He says, by stating that the women told no one, he challenged his readers and his hearers to assume the responsibility of telling the good news to everyone. This may be the most important reason for this ending in Mark's gospel. This is, in fact, the beginning of the gospel ministry of hope for the rest of us as the church. For every one of us, here on earth, we are confronted with the empty tomb and the claim of Jesus' resurrection. Will fear keep us from coming to him in faith? Fear that our sins are too many or that we've waited for too long? Or perhaps fear that we don't quite understand it all yet? The good news of the empty tomb is that it bids you to come and see for yourself. It welcomes you in to see and explore its claims, to hear the news that Jesus died and forgave every last sin you ever have or will commit. 
Will astonishment keep us frozen in place, unable to share the good news? This is a wonderful and mind-blowing thing. But let the astonishment of the miracle turn to joy and gratitude because of the reason for it. For Christ saw our inability to make ourselves right with God and made a way for us in our place. So instead of reacting in fear and astonishment that freezes us, that keeps us from sharing the good news, instead my third challenge to us this morning is this. Let the empty tomb and the proclamation of that the crucified one is now the risen one be your joy and hope each day of your life. As you are confronted with the empty tomb this morning, as we're confronted with it every day of our lives, remember that this is a decisive event by which we get the good news of Jesus that we are called to share. Family, he is not here. He is risen. Let it ring out here today on Zoom. Let it ring out on social media, from your front lawns, from wherever you are able to shout this good news. May it be heard in every corner of our world. Darkness, death, and suffering has been defeated. Those things are fighting with every last ounce of energy they have, but they cannot win. Brothers and sisters, let us take this hope into the world that hears a different message every single day. For Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. It has just begun. There is work to be, to be done. Let us live each day in hope and joy because of this good news. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you that you have risen. We thank you, Lord, for what this means for us, that this is the beginning, that your kingdom has finally come on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, although it is not finished yet, we know that it is coming, that when you come again, you will bring full restoration, that you will bring redemption, that suffering will be no more, that sin will be completely overcome, that pain will be gone, that death will end. Lord, if you did not raise, then nothing matters. Death is still death. Sin still covers us. But Lord, since you have raised, nothing else matters. This is the good news. This is our hope. May we live as people of hope today more than ever as we seek to bring this word of resurrection life to a world that experiences so much death and darkness. Thank you that you have risen. Thank you that we are your people. May we be motivated. May we be empowered and encouraged to take this message into our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.